the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The world is a complicated place. You need someone to expose the political fakers, fixers, and takers, and to cut through the mindless chatter and misdirection to help you make sense of it all. That person is Dan Proft, and this is The Dan Proft Show. Welcome back to The Dan Proft Show. Well, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida is going after the big tech companies. Well, you could say it that way, or you could say it perhaps he's trying to protect uh, those uh, on their platforms from not being uh, arbitrarily deplatformed because of uh, their views. DeSantis uh, at a press conference announcing legislation to protect the privacy of Floridians as well as to protect big tech from putting its finger, prevent big tech, I should say, from putting its finger on the scale of candidates for office in Florida, like perhaps a governor, Ron DeSantis, who's up for reelection in 22. But his point, uh, regardless of his political fortunes, is uh, a compelling one. Well, I think it's been done in a, in a way that's completely unprincipled. I, they, they mentioned the Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden's story was true. OK, we now know it was true. And the typical corporate media outlets, they just chose to ignore it. Obviously, they wanted to beat Trump. They had a they had a a view on the election. They didn't want to give it any air. So we rely on social media to go around that, not let corporate legacy media outlets control the discourse and let us speak. So you had the New York Post to run it and you couldn't get any traction. You couldn't get any reach on it because big tech put their thumb on the scale. So that was true. What they said at the time Oh, it was it was it's a conspiracy or it's based on 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 hacked information. Are you kidding me? You're trying to tell me if there was hacked information that could damage me, you guys wouldn't print it. Give me a break. You can whiz on my leg, but don't tell me it's raining. You guys would print it every single day if you could. And big tech would allow it to proliferate every single day, 24 seven. You can whiz on my leg, but don't tell me it's raining. That should be his campaign slogan. Uh, for re-election. DeSantis also making the point this is also to protect small businesses from being deplatformed, small businesses that rely on that uh, infrastructure to um, exist. We need to bring some protection for folks. I really, really worry when you have a business owner that may rely on some of these tools to do small business. If they engage in wrong think or they go to the wrong political event, then all of a sudden they can act in concert and just take take you off. You need to have protection against that. Under this uh, measure in Florida, technology companies that deplatform a candidate during an election will face a daily fine of $100,000 until the candidate's access to the platform is restored. If a tech company promotes a candidate for office against another, the value of that free promotion must be recorded as a political campaign contribution enforced by the Florida Elections Commission. That's going to be really interesting to try to track. The bill also empowers the Florida attorney general to bring action against big tech companies under Florida's unfair and deceptive trade practices act. If they violate new policies laid out in the bill also gives users advance notice of a rule change. And before shutting down an account uh, demand, 
rule change before shutting down an account and uh, uh, demands that rule be applied consistently. And if they use uh, their content and user-related algorithms to suppress or prioritize the access of any content related to a political candidate or cause on the ballot, the company will also face daily fines. Uh, A related story in Minnesota, legislation also drafted there, introduced uh, to to be introduced in the state Senate uh, this week, couched in terms of discrimination, prohibits Internet service providers and social media companies from restricting users' content on the basis of race, sex, religion, or political orientation. And it includes statutory damages of $50,000 per violation, along with recovery of attorney's fees. For more on all of this, uh, Big Tech Boomerang, we're pleased to be joined again by Khalif Lataru, Real Clear, uh, Real Clear Media Fellow and Senior Fellow at the George Washington University Center for Cyber and Homeland Security. Khalif, thanks for, so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me again. So what about uh, the state legislative actions that are afoot in Florida and Minnesota and uh, probably others to follow because of the, frankly, the populist uh, benefit that politicians get from going after those big tech companies, whether you're Republican or Democrat? You know, it's going to be really interesting to, to see where this all heads, because, you know, I, I think that you're because obviously now with the administration change, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of Republican states that are going to try to, to look locally, try to kind of restrict this. I think it is going to be really interesting how these state level things collide with Section 230. Um, and, you know, it, it, it is really interesting because, you know, both parties now agree that, you know, two, 230 has to go. And, um, yeah, it, it's going to be really fascinating because, you know, Republicans say 230 needs to go uh, because, you know, the, the social media companies are using it to essentially justify any action they take. Uh, conversely, Democrats also believe it has to go, uh, but only because it's allowing the social media companies to not do enough to restrict the speech that they yeah. like. It seems uh, like so I, 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 I want fascinating. Yeah. And I wonder if Republicans are playing. Um, on uh, the Democrats' turf on that Section 230 obsession because you've had uh, some interesting comments from conservative uh, uh, platform providers like the CEO of of MeWe, uh, bloggers like uh, William Jacobson over at Legal Insurrection, professor of law at Cornell, say, you know, Section 230 protects me, and uh, you eliminate Section 230, you're actually providing a benefit for the big boys with the deep pockets as compared to the little old guys, whether you're me, we, or you're just a blogger, um, uh, and, and you don't have those deep pockets. Yeah, you know, if you repeal 230, there's kind of two things that happen here. So basically what happens essentially is that companies become suddenly liable for how their platform. I mean, at the highest level, 230 says if somebody comes along and posts something on Facebook, you can't sue Facebook for what was posted. You have to you know, go after the person that posted it. And one of the challenges there is that if, if 230 is repealed, the social media companies then, as long as they delete uh, some, as long as they prevent something from being posted in the first place, they're okay. So what happens then is, A, uh, they're going to be really incentivized to just delete anything that they think could possibly upset anyone. Um, and so you'll have that piece, which I think is probably going to come down more on conservative speech than democratic speech, simply you know based on whatever parties in, in uh, power. But then also it's going to prevent new competition. 
uh, because you know if you're a, a if you're a Facebook, you can afford to pay fifty thousand people to sit there uh, reviewing posts each day. If you're a small startup like Parler, uh, there's no way that you're going to be able to afford massive armies of people. Uh, and if a single post gets through, it could shut down your company. And I think it's going to be you know that's one of the challenges. People, you know, there, there's all this focus on repealing 230 without kind of thinking, well, what are the consequences once it's gone? What actually happens here? Yeah, and it's interesting, too, that uh, you have in, in both Minnesota and Florida a focus on political orientation, political content, and even more specifically in Florida, uh, protection of candidates' access, political candidates. That's cl- clearly there's a recognition, uh, even though nothing was happened at the federal level, that big tech companies are colluding in some material form to advance the candidates that they want. And um, and and this is an effort at the state level to try to do something about that, particularly with what DeSantis has uh, discussed. Yeah, you know, it, it is really interesting. Um, you know, I, you know, again, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how these state level initiatives uh, collide with federal, because you know, you oftentimes see a lot of these, you know, and. and you know, it was interesting this time when, when Amazon got rid of Parler, uh, they actually cited Section 230 and said that this is a Section 230 yes, issue. Yes, right. Um, and th- this is really the first time you've seen, you know, non-social media companies, like actually infrastructure companies that provide the, the plumbing of the Internet. Um, because that was always the argument. You know, people said, well, look, if you don't like Twitter, just make your own version of Twitter. Well, that, and, that, know, that, was, the, that was a hypocrisy of it. Section 230 for us, but not for you. And, you know, and, and that was what was so interesting is just the ability, like in this case, uh, Parler, the fact that literally uh, you saw the almost overnight, uh, it just basically vanished from the face of the earth. And that to me is, is, you know, you can say what you want about moderation and, you know, all, all these other things. But to say that there's a handful of social media, there are a handful of Silicon Valley companies now with the power to literally flip a switch and get rid of a competitor, A, a competitor, uh, because, you know, Parler, yes, it was a small little startup, but it was technically a competitor Twitter. And the fact that Silicon Valley was just able to flip a switch and completely get rid of it. But then also you have to ask, Amazon said, well, look, Parler isn't doing enough. They are content modeling, but not enough for us. But Twitter, on the other hand, uh, which also uses the Amazon services, well, yes, they also didn't do enough content moderation, but that's okay. We're not going to penalize them. And, you know, that again gets into that question of you say, well, this company isn't doing enough, so we're shutting them down. This company isn't doing enough, but yeah, that's fine. So, you know, again, it raises this whole question of where do we draw all these lines? Well, and uh, when we come back, uh, the other lines and drawing the lines is, you know, who's trafficking in the truth and who isn't. And these uh, uh, self-appointed fact checkers or these, uh, you know, these fact check fact-checking minders employed by the big tech companies that decide what's true and what's not true, even when what they're deciding is true turns out not to be true. Uh, let's have that discussion with uh, Kalev Lataru, a Real Clear Media fellow, senior fellow at the George Washington University Center for Cyber and Homeland Security. We'll be right back with you. This is the Dan Proft Show. Welcome back to the show. We're speaking with Kalev Lataru. He is a Real Clear Media Fellow, Senior Fellow at the George Washington University Center for Cyber and Homeland Security. And Kalev, uh, this uh, story about uh, 
Abraham Lincoln High School in uh, San Francisco and the question uh, of whether or not uh, it was uh, going to be renamed. Uh, This became a dispute among uh, one website that that shares humorous stories that posted it and the uh, social media minders uh, reintroducing the question of who fact check the fact who fact checks the fact checkers. Yeah, you know, this is a fascinating story. So there's something called, there's a site called the Babylon Bee, which is this, you know, satirical website, makes everything up. Um, you know, standard, kind of, like an, kind of like the onion, basically. And they have a sister site called Not the Bee, which shares things that really sound like satire, but are actually real news. Mm-hmm. And so in December, they shared this story, uh, and they titled it that San Francisco High School will be renamed because Abraham Lincoln did not do enough uh, for African-Americans. And uh, this, so USA Today, uh, it, which is a fact-checking partner of Facebook, they fact-checked it, said missing context, and uh, suddenly now anyone that accesses that, uh, that post will now see this warning label saying independent fact-checkers have said that this is misleading, uh, you know, it's, it's dangerous to read this, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Facebook can take action against this company, this uh, publisher, yada, yada, yada. Uh, well, it turns out that actually in their fact-check, USA Today said everything here is true. The difference is that uh, the, you know, the, the, the post, you know, again, it's, it's a, it's a social media post it's, and it's a humor site. It's gotta be small, you know, short and pithy. Uh, well, they said, well, you know, they're saying it, it is being renamed, but the school board has to take a vote and that vote doesn't happen for a few weeks. So it's, it's, you know, it's basically, you know, fake news essentially, because they're saying it has, it, it will happen and it hasn't happened yet. Uh, which you know, of course begs this whole question of what on earth are they fact-checking humor sites for in the first place? Uh, but <laughs> yeah. but then what happens is then the school board actually takes the vote. Right. Uh, they and do the, the first vote, and they and, and they strip the name. And they strip the name, and USA Today does not update it. And what's interesting about this is it turns out, well, they're not going to update it because at the time period that the post was made, it hadn't, the vote hadn't happened yet. Even though the vote has happened now, so the post is actually correct now, they're sticking with the label, which means today when you still read that article, uh, you see this post saying, actually, no, it's, it's not really true. The name hasn't changed. And, you know, this is a challenge. As fact checkers now, you know, they used to do urban myths, like, you know, is Bigfoot alive? But, you know, they're explaining that. They're doing humor sites. They're also fact checking the future. And this is a big thing. Another USA Today fact check last year when Donald Trump said, look, uh, I predict that a few a week or two after the election, uh, suddenly there'll be a vaccine approved. And uh, I am saying that we will start putting uh, shots in people's arms uh, by the by December 31st. And again, USA Today fact checked that said completely and utterly false. There's zero chance a vaccine will be approved uh, right. this year. Right. And, you know, zero chance before the end of 2021 is, you know, really optimistic that people get shot. So then, of course, obviously everything comes true exactly as he said. And here we are two months later. And still, it is you know, completely false today when we get a vaccination. And, and, and the problem is that this has real-world consequences. Uh, you know, there was another Babylon Bee Snopes. Uh, so another Babylon Bee satire said uh, that uh, CNN had installed an industrial washing machine in their newsroom, and reporters would come insert their stories, and it would spin cycle them and add the right spin to it. And Snopes fact-checked that and said, well, we called CNN, we talked to all these people, and they confirmed they haven't installed a giant two-story or whatever washing machine. Um, and you might laugh 
off at that, but the problem is that had real consequences. They were then told, Babylon B was then told, look, uh, you know, we're going to cut off uh, by, by Facebook. Facebook said, look, you're publishing fake news here. Uh, you know, we're going to cut off your advertising. We can suspend you. Uh, USA Today, same thing. Of uh, They published a thing saying that the courts had ruled that Ginsburg had not really died and that the courts were – so literally you have this, this satire piece saying the courts have ruled Ginsburg isn't really dead, rushing to work with nation scientists to clone her so Trump can't replace her. And they fact-checked it and said, well, yeah, I mean, to the courts, they said they haven't. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's so here, here's the thing. There's, there's you know, the, the fact-checkers, the, the, the Glenn Kesslers and, and these sorts of uh, goofs. You, you can fact check and to and, you know, pretend that you're the arbiter of the truth and delude yourself uh, over at the Amazon post or whatever. Fine. I don't care um, when you're using yourself or you're in a position to be the arbiter of the truth. And then you can negatively impact people like you're saying you can shut them down, not 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 argue, not say what that person said is wrong. Let me tell you, here's the truth and, and make your case for why you're right. And that person is wrong. But you can shut them down. That that's where the problem is. That's where the rub is. It's that we have so little faith in other people that we have to prevent them from hearing anything that is debatable or even false. Because if you had real confidence in your ability to debunk things that are obviously false or things that are wildly false and people would and you had confidence that people would readily see them as false or that it would get, you know, fleshed out when you had back and forth about this particular issue, event, person, then you wouldn't need to come down in the way that these social media fact checkers, minders are coming down. It says so much more about their attitude and the culture they're promoting than it does about, you know, one particular story or the other. That's exactly right. You know, again, uh, you know, what I've always said is, look, you know, 10 years ago, if, you know, if the fact checkers went and did something, you say, well, fine, you know, you, who cares? It doesn't really have an impact on the world. The problem today is that social media companies use them as absolute truth. Uh, you know, in, in the case of the, the high school, the renaming of the high school, I asked Facebook, I said, well, what happens when a fact checker, uh, you know, doesn't update their fact check? Uh, do you take action on that? And they said, no, if uh, it's up to users, if they spot all outdated information, they have to contact the fact checkers themselves. And, you know, I've asked Facebook in the past, what happens if a fact checker is just maliciously attacking a website to try to shut it down and they're violating your own rules? They're doing all these things. And the answer again was we, we, we wash our hands of that. We take no action. We just we trust the fact checkers uh, to do what they do. And, you know, that's again, it's the fact that literally these fact checks, when they, they're fact checking the human site, every one of those fact checks actually penalizes that site. and pushes them closer to being deplatformed uh, from social media. And so there's, there's real world consequences to this stuff now. Before we uh, let you go, I, I did want to get to this uh, interesting piece that you did uh, at RealClearPolitics.com looking at uh, 12 years of Trump's tweets. Uh, and uh, the, you, uh, the, the Trump Twitter archive preserved uh, 56,000 utterances set by, sent by at real Donald Trump, the former president. First one on May 4th of 2009. So give me some of the top line takeaways from reviewing uh, that many tweets and, and over that period of time. Yeah, you know, at the highest level, what's interesting here is, you know, Trump has thought of the Twitter, you know, Twitter candidate. And it's true, he started using it. But actually, in 2015, when his candidate, when he really took off as a candidate, he actually started using Twitter less and less and less and less. It wasn't until he became president that suddenly he just exploded into the Twitterverse. 
Um, and what's also interesting is in the early days, when he first started using it from 2009 up until he became president, most of his tweets referred to himself. It was, you know, me, I, Donald Trump. Uh, it was amazing. Almost the day he became president, suddenly it, it, it switched and it was all about us and we. So he really did become presidential, uh, you know, in how he was uh, at least addressing the public. Um, so another piece I did is I actually looked at how Twitter has fared over the past year and a half. The two of them, you know, Twitter's doing just fine without Trump and Trump's doing just fine without Twitter. It's going to be really interesting to kind of see how that all plays out. He is Kalev Lataru, a Real Clear, Real Clear Media Fellow and Senior Fellow at the George Washington University Center for Cyber and Homeland Security. Kalev, thanks so much for joining us again. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Crisscrossed in the wrong direction Found myself in a conversation From a missed connection Exposing political fakers, fixers, and takers He's Dan Proft And this is The Dan Proft Show